Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peach Troops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We're recording on a Tuesday night uh, between the games against the Magic and the Bulls. Uh, Glenn, what, what are your big takeaways from a glamorous win over the Orlando Magic? <laughs> to me, it was... the it ended up being an unsatisfying uh, win, I think. Um, I mean, I, I appreciated that you pointed out on Twitter that lots of positives, DeJounte back, JC back, you know, those those are the bigger, more important things, I think. But, man, those six possessions uh, after the three-minute mark, I think they led by nine with three minutes to go. Next six possessions were two turnovers, four pretty rough shot attempts. Uh, and open the door for the Magic to get back in there. And it took took some uh, effort and some maybe a little bit of luck uh, to, get, to get out with the win. But, man, they, they've got to get better in late game execution, uh, in my view. Uh, mixed in there, we had, a, you know, what you pointed out on Twitter was uh, a couple of the four flat possessions with Trey up top four Hawks on the baseline. Uh, what did you like or not like from, from those two possessions? What, what makes those work? What makes those not work? Uh, yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah, so we could kind of talk through them. I'll do my best to describe visuals here, but I, I want to take everyone back to first that game against the bulls that, that they won AJ's game winner, the prior possession that ran four flat trade work to the left elbow Got a great shot, knocked it down. You and I talked about that on the pod after the game. Mm-hmm. What was different about this was I, I felt like there was a little bit of kind of mixed scheme, at least what I was seeing. You know, on the first uh, four flat, Trey started well to his right, really, really all the way out to the boundary, um, which is a strange place to start. Typically, you want to start kind of dead center, a right hander maybe wants to start a little left of dead center, top of the key. And Trey, at times, the most famous example is that game winner against the Knicks, game one, you know, a couple of years ago, where he works that seam, like you put a shooter in the right corner, and he uses that shooter in the right corner to hold the defender that might offer help, and he works that seam to the rim, to floater, to the rim, depending on what kind of depth he can get. So they set up four flat, just like you described. And then he ran that right seam action. DeJounte's in that corner, not Bogey. Typically, you want Bogey in that corner. Bogey was in that corner on the game winner against the Knicks. Um, but Gall- on that possession, Gallo was in the left corner. You want a shooter in both corners, preferably. 
Um, so it was strange that they ran for Flat. He chose to. I did. I went back and looked at it several times. It didn't look like the defender um, started him. You know, pushed him to his right, and he he looked like he was kind of seeking that little um, corner. What I call corner seam. Um, you know, path and just got nowhere. Uh, got cut off from the rim and had a, a tough shot attempt. So in the next possession, four flat again. He started dead center. He started a little left of center and still ended up kind of getting pushed to his right. Pretty well to his right. Um, in that case, Bogey was kind of starting his cane halfway up the floor as if to say, hey, Trey, do you want a screen? Um, or do you want me to come ghost the screen, do a touch screen, kind of clear? Do you want me to kind of help facilitate a switch? Do you want, uh, you know, Bancaro was following Bogey up there? And, and Bogey kind of gave him the option, like, if you want me to get you switched on to him we can go but trey kind of waved him off and boogie kind of cleared out but that that was a more traditional starting point um for for the fourth lap but once again he got he kind of got pushed into heavy traffic and it was a heavily contested shot i will say that i prefer the four flat setup if they run it well to kind of the um what we were seeing before trey started getting into these recent four flat possessions where prior to that it would be a a, a person in each corner. I don't know if it's a shooter before some of these guys start coming back, but a person in each corner, a player in each corner, and a player in each three-point break. And they would kind of maybe get a screen at the right three-point break and a left three-point break. And if that didn't manifest an advantage, then Trey or DeJounte would just isolate, you know, and everybody else is literally standing there watching. At least with the four-flat, Trey can call for a screen. Uh, it can be ghost, touch, or on a screen for a switch. The, Trey has options in that configuration and Trey has space to use in that configuration that's different. So I prefer the setup again, I guess the bulls that went to plan and gave them a really, really important bucket. The magic are big and long. Um, and, you know, Trey, the first time weird, weird place to start kind of a strange attack angle. If you wanted that corner seam, you got to have bogey in that corner in my view. So just, just weird. Although I, like I said, I think it's important to say, I think that four flat is a good option. You just got to run it well. So when you do that, I mean, you, you've already mentioned that, you know, to optimize that you want to have shooters in the corners, but you know, when you have that and it's essentially, you've got four Hawks on the baseline and, and their defenders on the baseline, how do you, you know, what goes into running that well so that the other defenders aren't waiting to be easy help? Yeah, I mean, so so you want to pack down low, and oftentimes what the Hawks will do, like when Trey wants that left elbow, is they'll actually end up with three on the baseline and one halfway between the right three-point break in the baseline, and they'll kind of kind of scrunch everybody towards the right a little bit to open up that left elbow space. The key is that if someone leaves, um, if a defender who is matched up on someone on that baseline leaves you got you've got to turn that into something that you can leverage whether it's just a, a slip to the rim a slip right into the middle of the paint for you know a turnaround or a short roll type action if someone if they someone comes up an outright double so so it takes veterans like you know people were complaining like why wasn't aj in the game um i'm not saying aj would have messed it up but like bogey knows exactly what to do if there's a double on the tray or if someone uh, kind of goes halfway to that area to kind of consume the space that Trey wants around that left elbow, 
you know, you have those guys that are um, there. So, I mean, those those guys who are off the ball have to be ready to uh, jump into action and react to whatever the defense might throw at Trey, whether that's a double or some sort of other type of action to kind of take some space away from Trey. And it's, there's not one thing to do. It just really, it really depends on what that defensive attack is. But it, it takes paying attention, attention to detail, and, and kind of countering what the defense uh, might do if they don't let trade operate one-on-one up there. Is is there anything else you want to discuss with regard to the end game stuff? I just wish they'd pass the ball up a little bit against pressure <laughs> instead of dribbling it to, right. to the side boundary and, and all of that. So, I mean, they had that one bounce pass to bogey in the middle, and I almost, like, paused the – the uh the game and went and got a bottle of champagne see if I had a bottle of champagne somewhere <laughs> uh but you know that kind of drives me crazy but I mean apart from those those last three minutes I thought they did a lot of good stuff I, I mean it's obvious they missed Clint because you know, JC started at center as we know and you know and Akongu went back to the backup and they had better defenders but man that I mean they're just not the same defense without Clint clearly not the same defense but you know, what I did want to ask you, uh, and I asked Trey. I was like, you know, what did you, what did you think? Uh, you know, was was starting John at center a good way to sort of ease John back from injury? Nate mentioned that you know one of the reasons he wanted to start John was that John could warm up for the game, and then as soon as he was warm, he would be in for the tip, and you know wouldn't have to sort of warm up a game warm up again later to enter mid game. You just kind of play from the tip, but uh, you know, this is something that's also going to happen again against Chicago. Um, so what did you think about starting uh, John at center against Orlando and, and what do you ex- expect for Chicago and what would you do for Chicago in terms of sort of managing Collins and a Congo to get, you know, at, as a center tandem. Yeah, I mean, so I I like I like the move. Um, I think the primary reason I liked it was that it put John into as the role man, the primary role man, and we know that um, when Clint's back, if the patterns continue, that John's still going to um, only get so much opportunity doing that. But his first game back to kind of really get him back in rhythm and get him a good feel for the flow of the game and all that sort of stuff. I thought it was perfect. Start him at center and let him kind of eat up all that role man action. He played really well, especially on offense, I thought, um, and kind of showed you, like, what he can do if he is, you know, that primary guy, uh, kind of kind of in that action, I, you know. Um, so it's, it you know, big picture, not for this podcast, it makes you think, like, what should the Hawks do about kind of their center minutes, you know? You know, should JC be playing? Should they tweak the rotations so JC's playing back at five? You know, starts the game and then comes off, and you know, that that's rough when you have a Congo because you know most. I mean, you, you know, I both believe that a Congo needs to play and all that sort of stuff. But it, it does. It makes me kind of go, hmm. I wonder what the best path is there. Um, and uh, and I like that when JC was at center. You know, he's a plus rebounder as a power forward, more of an average defensive rebounder. I think is the center, maybe a little better than that. Um, but I guess a, a defense that's, or I guess a, an opponent that's long and that hits off its glass so successfully as Orlando does, I thought everybody was helping rebound, you know, uh, well, and that carried over to the Congo minutes too, where there was, you know, 
good team rebuilding and uh, you know group rebuilding kind of going on there. As far as the Bulls, I mean, it should be a pretty natural setup because Vooch, they play five out. Vooch is on the perimeter. JC can kind of function out there. Uh, DeRozan, I mean, Levine will attack the paint and attack the rim. And so you've got to figure out how you're going to get help to him. The Hawks, I mean, it's hard. Even good defenders have a hard time staying in front of Zach Levine. DeRozan will go for that mid-ranger, and so he doesn't kind of press the issue at the rim as often as Levine does. So should be a, a fairly natural setup defensively, whether it's Collins at five or Okongwu at five. There, apart from just making sure that you're getting help when Levine is um, you know, putting pressure on the paint in the room. Yeah, one of the things that John kind of hinted at today too was that you know if he is sort of the starting center again, that you know he kind of expects a fair amount of switching. I think is a fair paraphrase of what he was saying, and that he was kind mm-hmm. of getting prepped for you know matchups like him having to guard DeRozan on some of those switches. Yeah, I mean, I mean they've used that quite a bit this year, um, especially as the season has kind of kind of gone on. Um, you know, even more so like when Hunter's out, you know, and they've mixed in zone and switching. Uh, but when they don't have Plant, I think I think they are um, do have a tendency to kind of kind of do more switching, and that that's a good way to keep uh, guys out in the middle. I mean, DeRozan still like loves that kind of area down by the baseline as well, but he's still more deadly like centered. At you know twelve feet right around or up to the nail and things like that. So that I mean that switching makes sense to me. Um, you know, I mean with Caruso back, it's going to be a little bit of a different thing because he is just so aggressive in a way that Javante Green isn't, and Demonsu is not not so um, aggressive as well. So it's, it's I mean he Caruso just kind of does enough to kind of make you not be able to just solely focus on DeRozan and Levine. And so it's, it's going to be a different challenge than that last game when Caruso missed. Is it fair to say that things are starting to look a little bit different for the Hawks offense because they're, they're getting more combinations from DeAndre Hunter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and AJ Griffin, that there are just there are more lineups with two good shooters out there at a time than they've I think they've really had it at any point in the season. It is I mean that somehow that magic game felt a little bit different to me in that regard. It's like, well, you know, things things are a little bit more unlocked. Uh, am I am I crazy in that assessment? No, I I think it's true. And as a matter of fact, like the bogey even make a shot in the first half and he still put up a ton of points, right? Um, he, he's, he's making shots in the second half, thankfully, because they need all the points. Um, but I, I mean, it's like earlier in the season, like, you know, one of their best shooters missing shots was like, was, was like fatal, you know, to their, to their offensive output to watch them in the game. And, and Orlando is one of the worst defensive teams in the league. For yeah, sure. Right. It's hard to separate. That's the, that's, the, yeah. that's the thing that has me doubting myself. It's like the, the magic little, looked a little bit different in the end game in the fourth quarter when they were playing Kevon Harris. It's like, if I was a magic fan, I would be upset to see him <laughs> come in 
and, and do that well in the fourth quarter. It's like, why did he not play more to that point? Right. Like you, you could use so much of that, but it just felt like, you know, Trey was getting to the spots that he wanted. And it's like, is it, is it the shooters that the Hawks have out there? Or is it just the fact that it's a little too easy for Trey to collapse the defense and DeJounte to collapse the defense? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when I was on with Brad over the weekend, I mentioned that the Hawks should get 62 in the paint, or 60 in the paint, they got 62. Um, I, th- I Before the game, I said they should at least get 20 at the rim. I think they got like 44 at the rim, like a ridiculous number. I mean, without Wendell Carter Jr., the Magic are just, they're, they're on the interior of the defense are just terrible. You know, so, I mean, it's just like a layup line, as some would say, you know. And, and Trey's skills, you know, certainly kind of fit into that. Um, but I mean, I mean, I have to say, like Jamal Mosley, he coaches that team hard, and he tries like crazy. So I don't know if you, heard, I don't know if you heard this in the arena, but like, at, at least the whole first quarter stretch, the bull bull was on the court. It was like bull 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 bull, like like nonstop. I don't know if you had headphones on or, you know, with your yeah. valley's responsibility, but it was like nonstop coaching him on like, which is like great for them, right? Because he's. It, he's a tough challenge when he's on offense to to deal with you know uh he's he's got a long way to go on defense but they're it's not for lack of trying by their coaching staff um but he's no better on the interior than mo Wagner or uh, mo bomba will get a kind of a flashy block kind of now and then but man they're just it's amazing they won six in a row without wendell carter jr playing it's like that's kind of crazy <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, I mean, it'll be, I think your question is perfect because there'll, there'll be more of a test as these next few weeks go on. The Bulls have been terrible on defense, you know, um, and they got the Pistons, you know, um, trying to kind of, you know, move their team forward, you know, improve, you know, and so it'll be a little while. And so in that sense, I think it's a little bit lucky for the Hawks that they can kind of get, you know, what is the luck? What is we run when bogey and aj are on you know what do we run when it's uh bogey and hunter you know and, and kind of what are we kind of doing they have a little time to kind of work with there um hopefully they give themselves a little bit more margin for error than they did in the last few minutes of that magic game but uh, you know if they the, i mean the, the formula for me is still is you get clint back hopefully you're top 10 11 in defense the rest of the way step one get to league average on offense and hopefully, if everybody's healthy, you know, Hunter's had a good offensive stretch here. Uh, Bogey, you know, is Bogey. Uh, AJ had his, I thought this was his best game in a while, you know, against Orlando. And so if you can start pushing towards top 10, 11 on defense and get to top 10, 11 on offense, and then then kind of figure out how to keep progressing, then you got something something serious going on there, I think. Uh is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, Mo Wagner being dirty. Uh, <laughs> do, how how much of that late game meltdown do you want to pin on Nate? Uh, I said on Twitter, like none of it. I mean, it's kind of funny because there is a certain subset of the Hawks fans on Twitter that want to blame Nate for everything, and they, they and they seem to me they seem stuck on that. And, and, you know, Nate's not a perfect coach. You know, I've said before, like, he's not my favorite coach. I think he's a fine coach. I think he's brought a lot of stability uh, to what was a kind of chaotic situation. We've had that conversation before. 
But no, I mean, it was actually it was execution. And some people are like, well, he could have put AJ in. I'm like, the five Hawks on the court, if they had just executed like a C minus level, there would have been nothing for Nate to do. <laughs> you know, you know. So you know, come on. I mean, we haven't even talked about that the the play where uh, Dejounte and DeAndre lost Fultz for the go ahead bucket there, but that that was execution. You know, and and you know, you had shared on Twitter. Appreciate that. That Jante said, "Hey, we should have been all reds there, and we screwed up the execution." You know, so I mean, that was a terrible switch. You know, when Dejounte let Markel get a full head of steam, which totally hangs DeAndre out to dry. DeAndre right. seems surprised that there was a switch, which if they're all reds. So that should not be a surprise, to DeAndre. And and what what tells you that, that they were all reds more than anything is that Bogey's quote low man in that weak side corner, and he's not showing any intent coming to the paint to the rim to help there, right. which means it's all on DeJounte and DeAndre. So it's like that's another example. Like the, the execution was awful. I mean, good on Trey for owning it, like in the post-game, the immediate right after the game interview on the court. I we were terrible. Um, but I, I don't know how someone watches that and goes, Oh, Nate's the problem, unless you're just 100% fixated on the idea that Nate has to be fired for this team to progress, you know? And I mean, if people feel that way, that's their feeling, that's their right, that's their opinion. But in that sense, I think if that's the thing you take away, I think you're, I think you could take a step back and have a little bit more nuance in your perspective is my view. What, how about you? Uh, with respect to what? Oh, Nate. I mean, he, he was doing, you know, he did some of the stuff that, that you want to see, like, you know, he was, there was a sort of a, a free throw rebounding situation where he just got John in late. And it's like, yes, I, you know, even with John on the minutes restriction, you know, he, he kind of just got him in there when it was key. I, the one thing that, that, that bugged me is, as I think I, you know, it didn't really matter, but I, I would have preferred that, Aaron Holiday had been on after that timeout on the on the Fultz layup instead of Bogdanovich. Yeah, uh, you know, I I seemed like that was a, a potential pitfall that they avoided, not you know, not having Bogey dragged out into space for something or other. Uh, but you know, I, I agree. Yeah, I think it, that was on the players. Yeah, I mean, it, I, it's it's all a continuum. Like the coaches and the players, they're all on the same team, and I, I think there are a couple of things there for Nate. But yeah, it's it was execution. It was execution for the players. It, it, they, you know, and they said as much. So you listen to the players; they're telling you. Yep. There are times when Trey kind of hangs Nate out to dry. He he didn't do that. He's like, no, that that, that was us. Yeah, well, that's 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 good. Like, and hopefully, it's a sign of. Uh, a little bit more calm, you know, kind of on the inside there um, and stuff. But I mean, you know, we you touched on it, but it's kind of funny because every time I say Kevon Harris's name, I don't know why, but I want to say Kevon, which is a herder throwback. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it makes me want to ask, like, have you ever been called Kevon out in a pickup game? Oof, I don't, I don't even know. I, probably, <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> I I mean, anyway, long, I don't have good long-term memory when I'm when when I'm oxygen deprived running around. So yeah, probably, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. You're, yeah. Um, 
or when you're when you're scorching your opponent like that that's a different kind of high you know or a different kind of a dynamic you know but i mean harris he's good i mean he i mean magic fan like i i understand that they have an investment in cole anthony and i think and I, every time i watch cole anthony i'm like he's my view he's gonna have to accept to be accept being a backup point guard a back you know, initiator on the second and for it could be for a really good team that's not what's going to get paid the way he wants to get paid i'm sure mm-hmm. but man he's just uh not enough of a passer to run the first unit and he's really not much of a defender <laughs> um and i mean when they put kevon harris out there they were different i mean what he gave them at the point of attack and uh, like we talked about that first four flat, Trey started right, and Kevon was like, "Okay, you're not getting out, you're not getting your line that you want, you know." Yeah. And then even when Trey started uh, center left on the next one, Harris pushed him like towards where all of his help defenders were. And I mean, he's I think he's he's going to have a nice career in, in my view. And um, it, it, I know it's hard for Jamal Mosley because you have these developmental objectives that are important and critical. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you're, I think all the, I would imagine all the players on the, on the magic are like, uh, yeah, we need him <laughs> out there when we need stops, you know? So interesting to watch. We're, we're getting closer to the Hawks sort of being the fullest and healthiest version of themselves. It, they they still haven't really gotten there, and maybe if they get there, it will be short lived. But you know, what do you think the rotation looks like if everybody's healthy? Like right now, it's just Clint. He's the only player listed as out for tomorrow. Um, right. If he comes back and Hunter's playing less power forward and and you know more small forward, you know, how does it trickle down? Or is it is it going to be nine players? Is it going to be ten? Who's in? Who's out? Is there are there still Aaron Holiday minutes? Are there are, are AJ Griffin minutes going down? Like how how is this going to shake out? I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't I don't know that I know what this answer is going to be. But you got your starting five plus a Kongwu plus Bogey plus AJ plus Jalen is presumably the nine. Um, I think I, I mean I still think Trent Forrest has given them some important stuff. I mean when you when Dejounte's back, Force is almost possible to get Force on the floor. Right. When Dejounte's playing, um, and then you know sometimes I, I think I think the first thing to figure out is how did Jalen's time go in the first half, and does he play in the second half? If he doesn't play in the second half, does Hunter slide and play some four in the second half? I think that's kind of like if we're doing kind of a you know um, a, a process flow or whatever. It's like that's the first thing is Jalen play play in the second half. That'll sort a lot of the rest out. Yeah, AJ absolutely needs to play, and um, you know, and and they they can re- if they wanted to, they can really punch up the second unit offense by getting, you know, Bogey plus Hunter, you know, um, there, um, which I think is nice because Bogey's got the passing acumen to kind of offset some of Hunter's passing limitations, and 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 Bogey creates space uh, as well. And so, I mean, to me, I I'd love to see even some time where. Um, you know, you got uh Bogey at two, Hunter at three, uh JC at four, Congo at five, and that, I think felt like that group can kind of really move move the basketball, which means and I like the idea of playing Jalen a little more, Clint, 
you know, I think when the other te- depends on what the other teams, you know, how powerful the other teams first unit offense is. You might need Clint and John for all of those minutes against uh Nikola Jokic or you know someone like that, you know. Um but it, I mean it's gonna be interesting to see. But I think it's I think I think it's nine with Holiday as an option. Justin as an option if you're if you've got some like more nuance defensive scheme to kind of go after. You need that veteran who can kind of do some of that stuff that maybe Jalen can't. But I feel like both of the holidays are kind of, uh, you know, one spot out of the rotation, but ready to to jump in there if they need you know, a veteran presence to help execute something, you know, that's a little bit tricky. What do you, what do you think? What do you expect? Yeah, I thought I wouldn't really change a whole lot from what, what you just said. I think that's that's kind of what it's going to look like. Uh, I, I think it'll be those nine. And, yeah, we, we just kicked the holidays out for the holidays. <laughs> I think they'll be okay. I, you know, I know, you know, Justin's 34 now. So, you know, I, I was talking with Brad. I was like, sometimes this is just kind of what happens when you're 34, you know. Yeah, I, I I remember a little bit of being 34. It was a little while ago <laughs> for me, and you know, Aaron. No doubt, Aaron. It's a bigger deal for Aaron because Aaron would love to get like one, one nice you know contract, two or three year deal with some you know. So he hasn't had that yet. You know, it's, stuff happens. So. Like we're we're planning for the perfect scenario that may never right. actually. <laughs> out. Yeah. Yeah, Aaron. Aaron can shoot, and he's a he's good on defense as long as he's not having to guard too big of a guy. Right. But like, like, like he'd be well, somebody who plays a big point guard. You know, like Markel Fultz. Like, you know, you could bring him off the bench team like that and let him play next to Fultz for a while and let him handle the harder, you know, on ball. You know, so I mean, it's a little, it's a hard, it's harder on a team built around Trey. I think for Holiday to be slotted into. Um, a lot of the lineup combinations, but you know, I you know me, Kevin. I root for everybody, and uh, you know, you know, opportunity will come. It always does across the full NBA season, and um, you know, Justin may be uh, you know on the downhill, you know, kind of uh, you know, you know, approaching his mid thirties there and stuff like that. But uh, you know, Aaron's got some interesting things he can shoot. Um. He can attack closeouts. He's a pretty physical defender. And as long as he's not having to guard a guy who's too big, I, I, he's a guy I trust on the second unit. But ideally, 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 he's playing next to either a wing, big wing that drives a lot of offense or a big point guard. And, you know, maybe that'll work out for him. But Kongu was good. Uh, Kongu, I, I, we should, yeah. I mean, he was really good. Yep. So that's Absolutely. good to see a good a good AJ game, good a good game, number of rebounds too, which is encouraging. I think it was eight. Yeah, was, yeah. The, the Hawks that, that was an interesting offensive game. I mean, it was a it was a nine man rotation, and seven of the nine were in double figures, which is like that's that, that was pretty efficient. But it, it, I'm interested to see like is this the beginning of Trey sort of turning the corner absent from those last two minutes, that was really one of Trey's most rhythmic games where you could just kind of see, okay, yeah, that's, that's the Trey that, that I remember him. Like it was, it it was different to kind of see that like, and it's again, I don't know 
how much of that was, you know, how he was being guarded, but he did have a, a nice rhythm. Like he had the outside shot enough of it that, that, you know, that was keeping the defense honest and there was no forcing like the, the offense flowed very naturally because, you know, those first, first two quarters, he was, he was getting the ball to places. Yeah, for sure. And, and even like, even, and even those possessions at the end, like dribbling into the pressure, like that's just always bad. Uh, but like, like I said earlier, the four flat, that's an absolutely fine setup for what they want to do. Like we talked about before, Isaiah Thomas, when he was the boss there, Brad Stevens wanted that in the game all the time. Dame wants that all the time in the games. Dame likes that option of calling a screener up or not. Um, Stan Van Gundy's Pistons, like Reggie Jackson, ran that four flat at the end of games all the time. You know, it's yeah. it's 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 a pretty typical. <laughs> I know why that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, that I mean that that one really good year Reggie had with Stan, it was it was very reliable. But then he, he Reggie just kept getting hurt. I, I know you're not the biggest Reggie Jackson fan, but um, I don't know why I watched a ton of Pistons that year for some reason, for some reason, you know, but, uh, but I mean, so the four flat is a fine setup. It's, it's a, you know, they'll, they'll need some counters as they, as opposing defenses, you know, treat it differently and stuff, but they, I think they'll know how to kind of work through that. And, and like I said earlier, I prefer that way more than what I think of the kind of the four corners, like a, a player in each corner, a player in each break, and then, kind of getting an ad hoc screen around a three-point break and then have it turning into nothing and then it, uh, Trey or DeJounte are dribbling at five sets of eyeballs you know so I the four flat I think has a lot lot more constructive uh, kind of usefulness to it so but I mean like I said the first one Trey was started way right weird it seemed like he was trying to run they set up for four flat he was running that corner scene like which is just strange the other one, I think Kevon Harris just deserves a lot of credit for pushing it out of the middle, you know. Um, so I, I think they're fine going to that in the games. So Scott Epstein better. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Thanks, Kevin. Always enjoy the conversations.